Nevertheless, if you have your Bible, I would like you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We will be reading verses 1 through 5. And the topic for today is the rise and fall of King David. I promise it will be PG. <laughs> so if you're worried, don't worry. I'll, I'll say a few, um, you know, hint words if I really need to say something. Say, I love Jesus when you got it. As I was, you know, kind of preparing for this message before I read the scripture, I was thinking about uh, a famous, famous apologist, someone who defended the faith, someone who loved God. There was a, a famous man who was very well known. He used to hold these lectures and people would come to these lectures from far and from different countries all throughout the country just to hear uh, this guy speak and defend the gospel. I mean, he had answers to every single question, pretty much. Not everything, but he had a lot of answers to a lot of questions. He studied and he knew his stuff. And you can say that he was probably one of the most well-known apologists ever to live. Um, I'm not going to say his name, but unfortunately, he did end up getting sick and passing. And this is this is modern modern times, you know, fairly, maybe a couple years ago or so. And after he passed, there was a, a lot of stuff that started to kind of come out about him. And apparently he had some skeletons in his closet. Uh, he did some things that were ungodly. And I was thinking about it, man, this guy really had, he had it all. So it appeared. But at some point in his life, he ended up falling. So I'm using that as a premise because I think King David is one of the perfect people for this sermon for today. Amen? All right. I'm going to read it to you. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they brought destruction on the sons of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now at evening time, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent servants and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and had her brought. And when she came to him, he slept with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. But the woman conceived. So she sent word and informed David and said, David, I got your baby. Whew. That's <sighs> it made me think of a, a, I don't know, maybe a bad reference right now, but that song from Little Wayne, I got that late text, that um, late text. <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to read the, I'm not saying the next lyric, but this is kind of what was going on. Amen. Don't get mad at me now. <laughs> I'm going to walk you guys through this story today. Some of this you will know already, but I think I have a few points that I think I want to drive home with you guys today. Um, I want to give you a little context as to what's going on in Israel. So as some of you may know, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And this goes back to Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. 
the Israelites. Israel is God's chosen people, and they are called the Israelites. And a promise was made to Abraham that um, God would put the Israelites in this promised land, this amazing land with milk and with honey and, and all that, right? But they didn't get there just right away. They had to go through some stuff. They get enslaved by Egypt. You know, we see Moses rise up as a deliverer of the Israelites, and we see uh, Joshua, and we see them eventually, Joshua takes the Israelites into parts of the promised land. And as they are still acquiring all the last bits of the promised land, the Israelites do what they tend to always do throughout Bible history, and that is they turn their heart away from God and they start to worship false gods. They start to worship demons. Israel was heavily influenced by uh, the surrounding nations. Even though they had the God, uh, the one true God who was performing miracle after miracle, they were still somehow enticed by demons. And because of this, God would allow different um, surrounding nations to take over the Israelites. And as the nations would take over the Israelites, the Israelites would cry out, God, God, why have you uh, forsaken us? God, God, can you free us from these people? So what God would do is God would raise up a judge. And this judge would be kind of like the ruler over them to an extent, not a king, but a judge. And this judge would be in charge of helping free the Israelites, so you have Samson and, and so forth. You have a, a number of judges that went forth to free the Israelites from this bondage. Then all of a sudden, one day, this will all make sense in a second, one day the Israelites say, we want a king like the surrounding nations. At that time, all the other nations had kings. Israel, just like they always have a habit of copying all the other nations, they said, Lord, give us a king as well. So, this upsets the prophet Samuel, who was like, you know, the main prophet uh, for Israel. But God tells Samuel, he says, hey, Samuel, uh, you know, don't, don't be upset. It's me they rejected as their king. So Israel was God's own people were rejecting God as king and instead wanted a physical person like all the other nations. See, we got to stop always trying to be like people. And so... The prophet Samuel goes and he, you know, God picks a man by the name of Saul to be the king. And the prophet Samuel warns every, he warns them, hey, I'm telling you, these are the repercussions of wanting a king, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, people are hard-headed. I think we're all, we all have a little bit of hard-headedness in us. And they still want their king. So they get their king, and this man, King Saul, he starts off good. Somebody say, he was anointed. Right? The spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament would come upon you. It would not fill you, but it would come upon you. So the spirit could come and go. If you start messing up and doing wrong, God could say, oh, I'm off of you. And this pretty much happens to King Saul. Because what King Saul does is he disobeys God on a couple of occasions. And he gets to the point where God gets to the point where he's like, look, look, I'm tired of this dude. He is not good. And Samuel the prophet is saying, no, I, I want to pretty much keep Saul, keep Saul here. He's interceding. He wants Saul to stay as the king. But God says, nope, I want a man after my own heart. That's pretty deep to say. And kind of the time frame of this, this is about 1,000 A.D. So this is 1,000 years after Abraham and 1,000 years before Christ when all of this is taking place. 
where God says he wants a man after his own heart. So what the prophet Samuel does is he's instructed by God to go to this man's house by the name of Jesse. And as the prophet Samuel gets to Jesse's house, he's in there and they ask the prophet, they said, hey, are you coming in peace? Because back then the prophets, they were for real, for real. They weren't like some of the prophets we may see now. Uh, you know, some prophets now, sometimes, a lot of times they come with good stuff. They do come with rebukes and, and, and so forth. But the prophets back then, when they were coming with a word from the Lord, a lot of times it was judgment because the Israelites kept messing up. So you can see why they would say, Prophet Samuel, are you coming in peace? The pro I, I know when I was a little bit younger, there were some prophets where I had to, you know, wonder, hey, are you coming in peace? Because I was in sin. So I was like, look, man, let me start my fast tonight because the prophet's going to be here tomorrow. Who, who's ever done that before? Y'all a little quiet today. Wake up. Come on, wake up. I need y'all to talk back to me. So the prophet Samuel gets to the house of Jesse, and he says, hey, I'm here to anoint the next king. And Jesse says, all right, all right. Uh, here, are my set, here are seven sons of mine. And one walks up, and Samuel says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. You know, I'm sure he was tall in stature, and sure, he looked good. He looked like what a king is supposed to look like, whatever that looks like. So, all of a sudden, God says, nope, not him. Another one comes by, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Nope, not him. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. They keep on, keep on coming, and God says, these are not them. And they get through all seven sons, and they're like, okay, well, there's one left. Who's ever felt like, who's ever played sports before, and, you know, you're playing dodgeball, or, and you're picking teams, and they ain't pick you, and you're the last one there. Look, let me get in that situation. I'm just running. I'll, say, I'll see y'all later. Nevertheless, though, they say there's one left, and he's out tending to the sheep. Who knows that sheep stink? So he's out doing some dirty work. If you've ever been around sheep, they don't smell good. So you can imagine his nails probably got mud and dirt in them, and he's probably muddy and smelly and sweaty, and he's not preferred. In other words, he's irrelevant. His own father, how rejected David must have felt by his own dad. Hey, the king's here, he, or the prophet's here. He's going to anoint the next king, and you don't even think about your other son? I mean, if I'm a father, if I'm David, I'm a little bit offended. Like, Dad, you call all the other seven but not me? I wonder if David dealt with some rejection. I, I, he probably did. But they bring David in. And one thing I like about David, as we know, what happens next is when he gets anointed and all that to be the king. But one thing I like about the life of David is that even though David was doing something that seemed irrelevant, it was still preparing him for the future. So this is why in life we have to be careful not to neglect the season that God has us in. Because we sometimes tend to get to a place like, God, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to serve here. I don't want to do this ministry. Da, 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 da. And you just start complaining and complaining. But you don't even know that God has you in that place for a purpose. He has you in that place for a reason. Amen? You may not see that reason now, and I don't know if David saw that reason, but while David was out there tending to the sheep, David would kill a lion and a bear. Who's ever killed a lion and a bear? I bet nobody in here has. David did not have no gun. He, uh, David actually ended up using his hands at some points. This was a real mighty warrior, David was. 
And just like David was getting prepared in that season where it seemed like he was irrelevant, where he was overlooked, in a season that felt like, man, why am I doing this? Everybody else is at war. I'm just out here with these smelly old sheep. Yet he was getting ready for a big battle against Goliath. And it's funny because as God is preparing him for Goliath, and Goliath was a man of war, uh, the Bible says he was a man of war since his youth. It's estimated that Goliath was somewhere between, this is a kind of broad range, 6'9 and 9 foot. I know you're like, okay, that's, that's a pretty big difference. The Hebrew translations and the numbers and all of that kind of fluctuate, so you got to, you know, I guess pick your side. But this was a big dude, and David was around 5 feet tall. So Goliath was either probably 2 feet or 4 feet taller than David. And yet David still slayed Goliath. But now back to the house where David was at. David comes out there and uh, Samuel says, look, this is going to be the next king of Israel. So they, I'm sure they get the ram's horn and, you know, it's not the little cute anointing like this. They got the, the full, you know, horn and they poured all the oil over David's head and anointed David to be the next king of Israel. And at some point, um, this is when David's life kind of starts to, uh, you can say, elevate. Because in that moment, the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon David. Now, I don't know if this was simultaneously, but it also says that the Spirit of God left Saul. So Saul was still going to be king. Saul was still in his position, but he was no longer anointed. I heard one prophet say it like this. He said, God is the only person that will fire you but let you keep your job. Saul was essentially fired from a spiritual aspect. The anointing was lifted off of his life and a troubling spirit was sent upon him. And what's good about God is, I love how the Bible talks about God ordering your steps because that's exactly what God was doing. He was preparing David to be a king. And as God is ordering David's steps, David is called to play the harp whenever the spirit would torment Saul. Now, if you've ever been tormented by a spirit or, you know, it's, it's not fun. You can feel an evil uh, presence come upon you. And David, whenever that evil presence would come upon him, David would play his harp and that spirit would leave. What does that show us even about music? What does that show us about instruments? That means that if you're anointed and you're playing, you could be the result of someone else's demon fleeing. Amen? There's some serious power in music. So he begins to play this harp and the spirits begin to go off of him and David becomes one of Saul's armor bearers. And this is kind of when the story even starts getting interesting because now what starts to happen is David, after he slays Goliath and, you know, he kills people in war, he's coming back into the town. And as he's coming back into the town, you know, you can only imagine what it's like when you come back from war. You know, you've seen the, the videos and the pictures and all the families are waiting. I could imagine all of Israel was waiting for David and his, you know, everybody to come back. And all of a sudden, the women in Israel, all the women jumped out on the street singing and dancing. And they started saying, Saul killed thousands, David ten thousands. Could you imagine that? If you're the king and they're talking, they're saying, oh, yeah, you killed thousands. But that David man, he killed ten thousands. This starts to make Saul a little bit jealous. And from that moment, Saul starts to fear 
David, he starts to get jealous and he starts, you know, instead Saul should have just humbled himself. Hey, if this is going to be the next king, you know, let me teach him. But no, Saul starts to take it to another level. And eventually he tries to kill David on a couple different occasions, but he misses. And King David continues to prosper. Even though King David is going through this hell, he's still prospering because God is with him. And as he's prospering, he finally gets to the point where he eventually has to flee because Saul is, he's really trying to take this man out. And David had done nothing. David was his son-in-law because David married his daughter. And he was also best friends with Saul's son. So David was in the family. He was leading the military campaigns. He was doing all these amazing things, right, as he's rising to power. And so as he's continuing to rise to power, he eventually has to Somebody say, he had to flee. And as David is out fleeing and Saul is chasing after his life, David gets to a place in his life where, oh, sorry, David gets to a point where he actually has the chance to kill Saul. Imagine if your enemy was after you, trying to kill you, and God puts him right before you, and you have an opportunity to end it. This shows you how humble and how godly of a man David was that when it's the Bible says that Saul was relieving himself. In other words, Saul was urinating. He was going to the bathroom and David showed up behind him and he cut a little garment off of him and he could have killed him, but he did not. And on another occasion, he could have killed him, but he did not because he said this is God's anointed and he was not going to lay a hand on him, even though see, that's that's what taking the high road really is. Amen. Even though this man was trying to kill him, he still preserved him and did not kill him when he had the opportunity. This is why God said, this was a man after my own heart, because David was not wicked yet. So, eventually, (laughs) I'm not going to ruin the story yet. (laughs) Eventually, David, or eventually Saul dies, falls on a sword, kills himself. He dies in war along with Jonathan and uh, David become, becomes the king of Judah. At that time, you had Israel and Judah. They were divided. Um, and remember, David was anointed as a boy to be king of Israel. He was not king yet. He went through about 20-something years before he would actually be king. But now, he eventually ends up becoming the king. And I like to consider this, this is like the peak of David's life. This is the peak. This is a moment in David's life where He's now at a place where he's done it all. Think about it. He defeated Goliath. He went on military campaigns. Um, He was one of the most successful military men. He killed tens of thousands of people. And he's filthy rich. He's married. He has a palace. He's been through hard times. He's almost been killed. Everything has gone against him, but now he's finally at a part in his life where he is at the peak, where he feels as if it's time for him to just relax and put his feet up because, look, I have finally arrived. Who's ever felt that you finally arrived? Yeah, okay, I know, I understand. He felt like he finally arrived. I'm here. I'm set. I ain't got to worry about nothing. I went through all this stuff. Now I am here. So he kicks his feet up and he begins to rest. And the Bible says that one day when the men were at war, this is the time when King David was supposed to be at war with his army. Instead, David decided to stay home. Somebody said, don't stay home. 
So he stayed home. And as he stayed home, he goes to his palace. And if you can imagine, King David, he had a nice palace. Because as the king, you had to have a good vantage point. You had to be able to see what was going on throughout the city. Because from a, from a security standpoint, like even right now, it's nice. I can see everything that's going on, right? But David being elevated up there could see everything that was going on beneath him. And in that night, he happened to see something that I wonder now, well, I mean, I'm sure he's in heaven now, but uh, I wonder, if, you know, if in hindsight, if he would have thought, man, maybe I should have just went to war. Because David stumbles upon, upon a woman who is bathing by the name of Bathsheba. Now, I could imagine David up there and, you know, kind of like a peeping Tom just sitting there and looking over and looking at her glistening on the moonlight. It was a nice, warm spring night. Probably, I'm not sure what the temperature is out there. I should have researched it. But who knows, maybe 70, 80 degrees, and he's out there, and he's just looking, licking his lips. And what's, what's interesting about this bath, and now you can run with this. You can do some research on what I'm about to tell you next because um, it's something that's debated. But some scholars, and this will all make sense too, because some scholars believe that Bathsheba, when she was bathing, they believed she was taking what you would call a mikvah. Who's ever heard of a mikvah? Okay, a couple people. All right. So a mikvah is this ritual bath. Now, I'm going to, you know, go a little bit uh, education. I had to, you know, just bear with me. Women, if I'm wrong about something, forgive me, all right? Don't get on me. But <laughs> it's kind of interesting talking about this now. But in the Bible... During a woman's cycle, she was considered unclean, right? And in order for her to be purified, she had to wait until after, wait, until, wait, seven days after her menstrual period. This was a requirement under the Mosaic law. And under the Jewish customs, a woman was to take a mikvah, which was a ritual bath, after those seven days. So due to the regulations of, you know, what was going on in Israel, not everyone had access to these mikvahs especially if you were poor. So if you were poor, you didn't have, you know, your own private bathroom. You didn't have, you know, you couldn't just bathe by yourself somewhere. You had to sometimes use the community one. So it's like, it's a chance that maybe David, with the vantage point he had, he was looking at her taking a mikvah. And what's interesting, though, is that I'm just using this as a, a you know, illustration, an example. Let's just say that Bathsheba had a 28-day cycle. Let's just say that, right? Is that, is that fair? Can I say that? No? I can't say that? What is it? Okay, sorry. I meant like the whole month is what I mean, like the 28-day. Well, hopefully I'm on, on track. We'll see. We'll see. So just stay, bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. So <laughs> she has her seven-day menstrual period, right? And then she has her seven-day waiting period, which was under the Mosaic Law and the Hebrew customs, which, which, which is when she took this bath. So in other words, when she took this bath, she was around day fi 15, because it was eighth day. She was on day 15, which is when you are most fertile. Come on, somebody. You get where I'm going? <laughs> I almost left that out, but I'm glad I said it now. So she was fertile. So now it starts to make sense at potentially why the reason she ends up getting impregnated. But back to the story. So David sees her, and he's all in love, and he's looking at her, and he brings her up, or he asks his, you know, his servants, hey, find out who this woman is. And as he asked the servants, they said, this is 
Uriah's wife. And David says, okay, bring her anyways. So she comes into the palace, and I could imagine that that palace is nice. He probably went to his little, uh, I don't know, he probably stored his prized possessions. Maybe he had, you know, his uh, slingshot that he used on Goliath. He probably had that hanging up, and he's probably showing her, like, look, look at all these amazing accomplishments. Check this out. And he's probably just trying to slowly lead her up to his place. Now, it's debated that some think that maybe he was forceful. Maybe not. We don't quite know. But he does the dirty. And eventually, she gets pregnant. And David has done what many men in here have done, I'm sure. You try to find a way to cover it up. So David starts thinking. He starts thinking, man, what, what can I do to cover this up? So David, what does he do? He calls Uriah home. And he calls, when Uriah comes home, he says, hey, look, man, come home from war. Go home. Go hang out with your wife. Because if he's coming back from war, you got to figure, for Uriah, he's ready to go because he just came back from war. He's been gone for a while. I don't know how long this trip was, but he was ready, and he was ready. But Uriah says, no, no, no. I'm going to stay here. I can't go to, I can't go to my wife while all of Israel is out fighting. So Uriah was honorable. He was a good man. David says, all right, next night, let's try this again. Uh, he says, look, I'm going to give you something to drink. What, what y'all drink these days? Somebody said, water? <laughs> what's, what's your favorite thing? <laughs> Hennessy, I heard Hennessy. <laughs> Pastor, if you're listening, they said it, not me. But David brings out the good stuff. And as David brings out the good stuff, he gives it to Uriah. Gives Uriah the good wine. And Uriah gets to the place where he is drunk, but he still does not go home. So what does David do? David says, look, man, I've exhausted all. I was going to try to you know, make you think the baby was yours. I've exhausted all. I have no other opportunity. I have nothing else I can do. But what does he do? He gives him a letter to give to the commander. And inside this letter, it says something. It says, in the fiercest part of the battle, put Uriah in the front. David, this is, now remember, this is a man after God's own heart. This was a man who wouldn't even touch an enemy, he wouldn't even touch somebody who was guilty like King Saul. But when it comes to covering yourself, you go through all different measures and lengths just to cover yourself. David wanted to cover himself so much that he's ready to have a man killed. Who's ever been to a gunfight before? I got nobody in here who was strapped, no, no, former, no former gang members. You, wouldn't it be jacked up to throw your friend up in the front and say, look, man, when everybody's shooting, you go up there. That's essentially what David was doing with Uriah. Hey, when the battle gets hot, go up there. So Uriah, what does he do? He's pushed to the front. And after he's pushed to the front, he's eventually killed. And as a result of him being killed, other people are killed. So now this man of God who rose, who did amazing things, now he is an adulterer and a murderer. He became very deceptive. And so what happens, and I know, I know I'm giving you the whole story, but we've got to rise to the climax so you can understand the fall. Amen? So what he does next after that is, uh, you know, they mourn for Uriah. They mourn. And after they mourn for Uriah, David goes and he marries Bathsheba. Whew, ain't that jacked up? 
and they end up having their kid, having their kid. And I don't know if about, about you, but you know when you've done something illegal or you, you, know, you got in trouble or you did something bad and nobody found out about it and you're like, whew, glory be to God, I didn't get caught. I had a moment like that when I was in high school. I went to, uh, I snuck out to go to this midnight premiere. My parents already told me I could go. They, but I, didn't, I couldn't get a ticket for some reason or whatever, and it was late, so I was like, all right, man, whatever. Uh, I'll go. And they fell asleep, so I said, look, oh, dang, you, dang, we got a ticket for you. So I went, snuck out, and what's funny is where I snuck out, when I got to this movie theater, there, I snuck out to go see some girl. My wife already knows this story, by the way. But I, I snuck out, and I was in high school. So the, the girl I was there trying to see, and my wife is 1,000 times better looking, amen? <laughs> we wouldn't have three kids if that wasn't the case. Shoot, probably got four. Just kidding. Don't know. Nonetheless, though, right next to the girl that I had been talking to was someone, was my little cousin and some people from the church. So I told them, I said, hey, look, man, I go sit there, and I'm like, oh, gosh, y'all just keep this on the DL. I said, I'll give y'all 10 bucks in, in, a, in a week or so, just be quiet. A month or two goes by, and they're still pestering me. Dane, at church, when are you going to give us our money? And finally I told them, look, I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> and I get in the car randomly. And I get home, my parents are like, hey, Dane, we need, we need to talk to you about, uh, about you sneaking out. And I said, what? I thought I had gotten away with it. And I could imagine how King David felt almost a year or however long it was after the fact, thinking he had gotten away with it. But then all of a sudden, the prophet Nathan goes to David and he says, he gives him this analogy of all these different things that, um, and it upsets David. And David says, no, man, that man needs to be killed. And the prophet Nathan says, you are that man. And in that moment, God was going to judge David pretty harsh, but David repents. And after David repents, he gets to, uh, God spares his life because God was actually going to take David's life out. God was going to kill him. But instead, God allowed calamity to be upon David's household, and he also took the firstborn baby uh, with Bathsheba. This was part of his consequences, and eventually, you know, David gets things right, you know, he does things right, and, you know, you don't really hear too much bad about David later on, but this is the point I really kind of wanted to get to, because there are some things that we can learn from the life of David. And my ultimate goal today is to keep you from having a fall like David. Amen? One of the first lessons that we learn from David's life is this. That lust will turn you into someone else. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. We read the story. I went through the story with you. We, saw, we see how honorable he was. He loved the Lord. You read the Psalms. He loved the Lord, right? But guess what? David's uncontrolled lust turned him into an adulterer. It turned him into a murderer. And what even kind of gets me is that it took David at least over nine months to finally repent from his sins. That means, think about it, because the prophet Nathan didn't come until after the baby was born. All throughout the course of Bathsheba's pregnancy, David was so far gone from God that he never once thought to apologize and tell God, I'm sorry. 
Have you ever been in a place like that in your mind where you are so far from God that you don't even, you almost have a reprobate mind where you just don't even repent. You're at the point where you're just like, oh, I just, David pretty much forgot God is what you can say. Because you can't murder someone, you can't commit adultery and live for nine months with this thing you did and not ever repent. But David shows us that lust turned him into someone else. And I don't even know if he would have ever repented had it not been for the prophet to see what he did. Number two, take heed to the warnings. The Bible talks about God always giving you a place of escape. When you look at the life of David, he had so many chances to get right. David had so many opportunities to not fall into sin. It started when he was on the roof. What should David have done? Turned his head and went to bed. I don't know who this is for, but it's for some of y'all in here that like Snapchat. Sometimes you need to turn off your Snapchat and go to bed. Sometimes you need to block these people who are continuing to take the oil from your life. Amen? Because God has a purpose and a plan for your life. But guess what? You're not going to get there if you keep on allowing these things in your life. So David should have turned his head and went to bed. Y'all got kind of quiet with that uh, deleting stuff. If you want to elevate and get higher in God, it's going to take a sacrifice. The things that your flesh like to do, you can't always do. Look, I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. I know you're burning. I know your flesh is hot. I know you want something. But guess what? You're going to have to turn your head. Come on, let me, let me, let me hit this point. Since y'all still are quiet, I did, a, I did some research, and the research found that 85% of people and Christians at some point have struggled with I don't know if I can say it, pornography. Now, there's kids. I'm not trying to say it too loud. But that's what they struggle with. So by that, that means that about 8.5 out of every 10 of y'all in here are struggling with that. Let's not be too quiet now because I was there too. Don't worry. I was there too back in the day. So this is a real struggle, amen? But David still should have took heed to his warnings. And then when you see what happens next is his men inquire. Uh, they said, hey, this woman is married. David knew the law. David knew the Mosaic law. He knew the Ten Commandments that said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But what does David still do? He still says, bring her up. He still summoned her to his palace for a night with the king. And point number three, stay on your assignment. See, I could not, see, we, we get too lazy. It's funny, we beg God to take us to a place, and when God takes us to the place, we stop performing. Come on. God, I want to be anointed to, to, to lead. God, I want to be anointed to, to do this. And God says, all right, I'll bring you there, child. God brings you there. Then all of a sudden, you're nowhere to be found. You got lazy and you got complacent with the thing that God called you to do. And this is the mindset that was going on through King David's mind. He was lazy and he was complacent. Because the Bible says that in the springtime, when kings went off to war, David stayed home. So had David been on assignment, he never would have saw Bathsheba. So if we stay on our assignment, maybe you wouldn't ru keep running into that same sin. If you stayed on your post, maybe you wouldn't have had that fall. Amen? Come on. 
Point number four, consider who it will affect. See, we like to think sometimes it's my sin, it's only going to affect me. But no, your sin can affect your seeds too. Your sin can affect your family, your friends, your kids, everybody. And David is a great example of this. We see this because the prophetic word against David says this, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. This was the word that was given to David. This was the rebuke that was given to David. And what happens to David? We see his son Absalom, Adonai. We see all the, we see two of his sons try to overtake his throne. Calamity came straight from David's house because of his sin, just like God told him. And then further, we see Absalom slept with David's concubines. And then we see that his son Amnon raped his daughter um, Tamar. Tamar. All of these crazy things happened to David as a result of his sin. This stuff is spiritual, amen? So your sin will not only affect you, but it will affect your seed. And how do we even see this a little further? Look at the life of Solomon, who was his son. Like father, like son. Daddy, we both got lust problems. Guess what? See, some of y'all are just passing it on to your kids. Why, why is your kid lustful? Because you're lustful. Why are your kid addicted? Because you're addicted. Why are your kid depressed? Because you're depressed. Like father, like son, we see Solomon. As the evangelist preached last week, she talked about how Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I'm thinking, man, maybe Solomon just knew about what his dad did. And maybe he thought, well, dad did it. He's still here. Maybe I can get away with it. But David passed it on. And just show you how bad it even gets for Solomon. Solomon was a man of God. This is David's son who worshiped God, prayed at the temple. He was there for God. He loved God. God appeared to him twice. This man was so controlled by women, so controlled by lust, that he got to the place where he started to worship demons. He started to worship these foreign women's gods. They were doing all kind of crazy stuff. And Solomon, who loved God, was, how do you go from worshiping God who appeared to you to worshiping demons? Easy. Don't check the lust in your life. Because I'm telling you, lust will take you further than you would ever go and eventually Solomon because of God's judgment upon Solomon the kingship is torn and the majority of Israel is given to one of Solomon's subordinates and because God loved David this was not executed on Solomon while he was alive it went to his son so now we see it start to affect the grandkids. So this shows that lust not only, and what you, not only affects you, but it affects your seed. And my last point for today is consider what you will lose. What is that sin going to take from you? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. What is that sin going to rip from your life? Will it rip your marriage apart? Will it take you from your job? What will it do to your life? I remember there was this one slide. Who's ever been to Waterworld before in the Bay Area? Nobody? Okay. Nobody here from the Yay? All right. Okay, the Bay. So there's this park called Waterworld. Water it's like a, a beach park. And there is this, there's this huge slide, right? And to get there, you have to walk up these flight of stairs. It'd be 100 degrees outside. 
you know you're barefoot. You weren't wearing the little cute shoes that you wear. It, it, you're barefoot, and your feet are hot, and you're going up these hot stairs. I think it's like 10 flights of stairs, and the railings are hot, and you're in line for an hour. You're in line for an hour just waiting and waiting to eventually go on this ride. And when you finally get up to the top, after waiting an hour, it takes 10 seconds to get down. 10 seconds. like, I, I waited. I did all that just to go down in 10 seconds? Now, in David's case, it took David 20 years to become the king of Israel. David was anointed as a lad. David, oh, I remember David, I bet David was probably thinking, oh, I remember that moment when uh, the Spirit of God was there and the oil was poured upon my head and I was anointed. He was a lad when he was anointed. He didn't become king until 20 years later. And in those 20 years, David went through hell. There was murder threats against him. There was attempted murder on his life. People mocked him, laughed at him, did all these things to him, right? But guess what? David stayed strong during those years. And that little moment... It took David 20 years to get to this place, and guess what? And as fast as he, as long as it took him to get there, how fast did it take him to get down and almost lose it all? Consider what you'll lose. The ride up is hard. The ride up will bring some tears, some hard nights, and the ride down is fast, and quickly people will forget about what you've done, and your legacy will be tainted because of a mistake. David, you know, fortunately he finished good, but there's still a big stain on his legacy because of what he did in this moment. The man I gave you an illustration about earlier, everybody loved him, but now everybody's against him. Why? Because he did not have it under control. He did not consider what he'll lose. So no matter how high you climb, no matter how long it took, no matter how hard it was to get to the top, the fall is easy and fast. Amen. There's someone today on the brink of a fall. Come on. There's someone here, you're, you're, you're itching to just jump. You're itching to do it. Come on, and God is warning you. God is telling you with this message today, stay pure, stay strong. Just like Deontay was, when he was singing and, and preaching early, he was telling everybody, hey, he said, I'm talking to one of you. I don't know who is that one of you today, but you have to stay strong. I'm telling you, the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything up in your life. And he is sending people around to try to get you. And you have to stay strong because if you give in, you might have a moment just like David. Everybody, you can rise to your feet now. I preach this message today because ultimately I want us to be at a place where, look, we know what's in front of us. We know it's not easy. We see the temptation there, but we have to buckle up and trust in the Lord. The Bible says that God's grace is sufficient for thee. I'm telling you, there's some moments maybe where your urges are going out of control. There's some moments where you don't know what you're going to do. You have to press into God. You have to lean into God. Don't lean into sin. Lean into God. I promise you it's only going to feel good for a moment and then you're going to regret it and then you're going to realize, man, I lost all of this for 15 minutes of pleasure. Is that worth it? Some of y'all have been delivered for years and thinking about going back to it. That moment of pleasure is not worth it. And we see this with the life of David. 
It is not worth it. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it is not worth it. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how good she smells, how good he smells. I don't, I don't care. It's not worth it because the call that God has on me, God has separated me for a purpose. That's more important than what that has to offer. I know she might be trying to work it in front of you at work, but I just say no. Turn your head and go to bed. Turn your head and go to your cubicle. Block her number. Do what you have to do to make sure you see Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is real. And what we do in this life matters about our eternity and where we're going to spend it. I'm not saying God can't forgive you because he can. And maybe you've fallen and God's love is there to pick you up. We saw what happened with the prodigal son uh, when he went out, squandered, used all this money and was doing all this wild stuff. God ran back to him. So if you have fallen, don't worry. God will run right back to you. God will run to you. But if you have not and you're considering it, I hope that today's message changes your mind. Whatever you're struggling with, just submit it to God. Amen.